You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio Station site. And this morning's show is sponsored by Bonnie Plants, so thank you for to them. Um, and this morning, we are going to talk composting with Gail Luce. Good morning, Gail. Good morning, Kate. Yes, and you're, you're out in the West. Um, so how did you um, start maybe, uh, you're referred to as the composting diva. Um, so uh, apart from gardening, um, how did you end up studying composting and becoming known as the compost diva? Well, I guess I've been composting my whole life. And um, when I moved into the southern suburbs, rather, as I after I graduated from college, I noticed that no one else was composting. So I started to figure out what's the best way to take care of all these food scraps and extra junk mail and so forth. And um, so put myself to work really learning how composting works and how you can do it in small environments versus the spaces we used to use when we were more of a um, farm society. And was that for, formal study in it or did you um, end up just kind of... Uh reading about it or because that would presumably be before the internet was kind of giving out a lot of information (laughs) well that's that's exactly true there are a couple good books written written about composting um and they really are the standards um let it rot is one that was published in the 70s um by the professor from the university of california at berkeley and it really makes a good case for how to to do different sorts of composting in um, suburban environments, um, from piles to lasagna composting or sheet composting and trench composting. And um, that's when we first started studying it. There aren't, there weren't at the time very many books that taught you how to do it. So a lot of it was just trial and error. And I think traditionally everybody did have a compost pile. Um, but I know that, um, you know, a lot of subdivisions, for instance, don't allow them any longer, which obviously is an issue for people in a lot of the subdivisions. And is that kind of another impetus as to why you may, maybe got your little gadget working? I, yes, actually. I, I think it's a crime that more people, actually everyone should compost who has a garden. Um, and it's, it's a little bit silly that people um, don't allow composting or people understand that they're not allowed to compost when there's all different methods that are, you know, not a problem with attracting pests or or causing nuisance smells. Um, So, yes, I did create a little device that would make composting very, very quick and um, basically make it invisible that you're actually doing composting. And so I guess um, composting is kind of um, nature's way of of maybe delivering nutrients as well as recycling. So how do you explain it maybe to people that haven't composted before? Well, that was a perfect lead-in. It is nature's recycling effort. Um, If you think about the forest in the fall, the, the 
trees drop their leaves, they go down and, and um, all winter they're trampled by animals, they're crushed up and taken by earthworms and other composting elements down to the um, roots of the trees and they feed the tree when it's ready to grow again the next season. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty sweet method and it should be completed in about, oh, six to eight months based on what nature's prescription is for us. And that obviously takes a while. Um, but what then maybe is the difference between, nutrients-wise particularly, between composts and manures? Both, both of them are used to, to treat um, gardens. So what, what are the nutrient differences between the two? Um, let's see. Compost, a properly created compost that, that is a combination of both brown ingredients, meaning dried leaves and, and papers and that sort of thing, and green ingredients, which are high in nitrogen, is the proper balance of, of all the nutrients your plants will need, whereas manures are typically a very, very high source of nitrogen, um, and they don't have the, the, the full carbon source that your plants need. Your plants need carbon in a on a scale of three to one over nitrogen. So manures that have been composted with other um, materials are perfectly fine, but manure that's just manure um, is not the, the um, full-range fertilizer that your plants need. So, so I guess with, um, with composting, it's kind of a little easier to obtain. So, so what exactly are the, the rules of, of composting? I mean, what can you put in and what should you not put in? Let's see. If you're in a typical suburban or urban environment, you can put anything in your compost that was previously living, with the exception of um, meats, bones and dairy and grain. The reason why you avoid those things, not that they won't compost, but they tend to attract pests. So unless you're really looking to manage your pile, those are things to avoid. They certainly won't hurt anything. Um, so anything that's previously living, whether it was a, a piece of mail, um, a veggie scrap, a dust bunny, um, trimmings from your dog's hair, Everything that has ever been alive can go right back into the pile. And is there uh, maybe a danger? I know when a lot of people use um, commercial sources of compost. Um, so is there a danger that they may be contaminated, whereas if you, you maybe use your own compost, it won't be contaminated? Or can it become contaminated merely by the foods that maybe you've brought from the supermarket um, that might have contamination on them? Um, well, one of the most important composting elements is the earthworms or the, the red wigglers and all the molds and, and um, bacteria that work are at work in your pile, and they take care of any problems. Earthworms are one of the few things on earth that can, can actually take a toxic chemical and render it benign. So earthworms, while you don't want to overwhelm them with um, fertilizers and pesticides, they actually can render anything that came into your home on an apple core or whatever um, harmless to you. On the other hand, compost, so that's one way, compost that's been, been packaged by a um, manufacturer has two problems with it. One, it's often taken from unknown sources and even sewer sludge. Um, 
and I am not keen on tourist floods in my garden. And the second thing is it's been sitting in an airless bag since it was bagged and then delivered to the, the store where you buy it for who knows how long, maybe a month, maybe um, six months or a couple of years. And that is not a healthy, oxygen-rich environment that compost needs to stay alive. So most compost that's purchased commercially is actually, it, it's just not the same lively compost that you would create at home. Okay, because I, I guess the ones you, you make at home are a lot fresher, obviously. Um, but uh, traditionally, um, or rather now, uh, you, people tend to use three different bins. One is the one that you fill in actively. One is full and is kind of decomposing. And the third one is for the ready compost. So how do you um, may, maybe associate um, the, the filling and, and the composting and, and the ready stuff. How, how does that work in one simple machine? Oh, well, in our machine, um, the, the green cycler is a compost shredder. It sits on your kitchen counter, and as you eat whatever you eat, you can put the leftovers and peels right in the top of the machine, shred them to the ideal size for composting, and then you actually do have to go through an additional step of composting, whatever your step is. In our case, we mostly trench compost, which means we dig a hole in the garden, throw all of our leftovers in it that have been shredded up, cover it back with soil or straw, and then, oh, about two weeks later, it's completely composted and ready to be garden food. So, so we would basically then need maybe just two machines, one, one that you're actually actively using and then the other one that's getting ready to go out to the garden. Would that be a better way of doing it? Um, actually, you only need this one machine and your garden. Um, it, it's just shredded. It's a shredder, and it's just preparing the, this stuff to go into the garden or a compost bin of another sort or a pile. It's the kitchen step of the compost, which is to gather everything up and shred it to the right size. Oh, okay. Um, and I know that, um, you know, raw veg and things are usually put in there, but you did mention paper and things like that. So is it, does the plastic in the paper, uh, particularly envelopes that have got that little window thingy on, um, can that go in as well? Um, I would have, it certainly could. Um, because nature can actually break down plastics, but I would avoid it. it. Before you do your shredding, you should take out all plastics and, and um, anything that just doesn't seem like it should go into your soil. Although sometimes junk mail doesn't give you the impression that it should go into your dirt, but it should. And so the glues in env envelopes and things like that can also be broken down and the inks in all those circulars and things that, that we get newspapers and all that type of thing. Absolutely. All of those inks are now um, soy-based. Um, so unless it's an ancient document, um, it, you're perfectly fine to put it into the soil. And, and so I, I guess with having such a rotten winter, which we over in the, the East Coast did, um, if once this thing gets full, do you, is there a way maybe of, of keeping it somewhere uh, – because you can't actually go out into the garden and put it on because you can't actually see the garden at that time. <laughs> Is there a way you can kind of store it in the garage or somewhere? Oh, sure. You can. Um, there's lots of things you can do. You can um, put it in the freezer as you finish filling up the bin. Um, some people just keep a great big container that they put in a, like a deep freeze and they keep adding to it all winter. 
um, you can put it in a worm bin. Um, if you have any sort of container poked with holes for circulation and then a supply of worms in there, they'll eat up all of your food scraps. Um, or you can just keep a big gallon, five-gallon bucket on your back patio with a lid on it um, and uh, throw the material in there as it's shredded and it, leave it all winter. And all the freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing will make that perfect garden food come spring. And then put it out into the garden when you can actually see it or onto the containers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and, and we obviously had a, a pretty bad win- winter. Um, but, you know, I think we need to take our first commercial break here, Gail. Um, but everybody will be back talking more with Gail Luce about composting, the most important part, I think, of any sort of vegetable garden, on America's homegrown veggies. And we'll be back. In just a moment. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at America's Homegrown Veggies. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on americaswebradio.com webpages. You can find them on iTunes and you can find them on Stitchers too. And this morning, we are talking with entrepreneur Gail Luce from the Green Recycler. And that's a kind of a small countertop uh, composting machine. So we're talking composting today. And as I mentioned at the end of the, the last segment, I think compost is probably the one most important step particularly on a spring garden, um, you clear the weeds out and then the first thing I do is put in, put on a layer of compost. Is that the standard way of doing it? Because I think it's the most important step when you're doing veggies. Um, it is a standard way of doing it for us today, but in the old days, um, people used to compost, put all their scraps and spread them out on the garden um, and let the, the earth do the work. And so they would create piles and piles and piles of food scraps. And then by the time spring came around, um, all of that food and waste and and, um, leftovers from trimmings and leaves were already worked into the soil without any work by the human. That's called, 
we call it lasagna composting or um, sheet composting. It's another method that's very low sweat. And and so I guess when uh, you do a low sweat sweat type type um, idea, um, I I know that. Um, you know, I mean, I bury mine actually directly into the soil as well, but I, I tend to use a, a regular cold compost where I just toss it onto the compost. Um, if I just keep adding the veggie clippings and may, maybe the lawn clippings because we don't put anything else on the lawn, um, is that going to be enough? It seems to take a long time. And to be honest, I, I tend not to turn it. I mean, should I be turning it? <laughs> Well, you don't have to turn it, but, I mean, it's very helpful because when you do turn it, you're adding oxygen to the mix, um, and that's a key element of of getting the composting pile working. And you also need an, a, an abundance of browns, and brown material is anything that was alive quite a while ago, so dried leaves, paper, um, paper towels, Kleenex, oh, boy, dried flat grass clippings that have been sitting around a while. So browns, you need quite a lot of those. Oh, straw, that's another example. You need a lot of those or a three-to-one ratio to anything that's been recently been living to get your compost pile really cooking. And I, I, I guess when um, you've got a thing that's called B-O-M-M, is that kind of one of the golden rules of successful uh, composting? Yes, we call compost the bomb to try to remind <laughs> ourselves what we need to do to keep our pile really, really um, alive. And it's the balance, which is, I just mentioned, the balance of green material to brown material. So, again, about three to one, brown to green. It, it's not, you don't have to be really, really um, um, worried about that. Just try to do that. Um, oxygen is the O. So plenty of oxygen all through the pile, not just around the edges. Moisture, keep your pile about the, the um, dampness of a wrung-out kitchen sponge. And movement, keep it moving. And, and you can either do all the movement or you can have earthworms and other um, creatures do the movement for you if you're composting right on your soil. But in any case, you need to keep the, the whole thing oxygenated and moving, moist and balanced. And that, that's what the, the B-O-M-M stands for. Um, so um, I guess um, on your, um, when, when you're do, doing it, what, what actually, I mean, apart from the nutrients from the, for the garden, are there any other reasons why we really ought to um, compost? I mean, for instance, if somebody is in, in an apartment and they've just got a couple of containers outside, uh, do they... Is there a reason why they should also be composting um, just for maybe one or two containers? Well, there's two reasons. One, um, and this is a more global reason, 45% of our nation's trash is food, soiled paper, and food waste. So our landfills are literally choked with all of this really great resource material that we're throwing away. So that's one reason. Plus, it's a cause of um, methane gas, dangerous methane gas. If you're putting things down your garbage disposal, you're causing real problems in the, the water system. So, yeah, from a global environment, um, if you want to do the right thing for yourself and the, the planet, you should be composting. On the gardening side, compost is one of the few elements, or as opposed to fertilizers or pesticides, that can actually prevent disease and pests in plants. 
And here's why. If even in a container, if you put healthy, living, lively, um, bacteria-rich compost in your um, containers, your plants will thrive. And thriving plants are not a good host for bugs and disease. So using your own homegrown compost in a, in a, even a tiny little garden space is very important for the health of your plants. And, of course, it's a lot cheaper than uh, the chemical compost and uh, what I call the, the blue stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously it's superior to, you know, to that. But does it add, add all the nutrients that a, a plant needs or should we maybe add in um, maybe some alfalfa or bone meal or something like that as well? Well, you, if you do quick composting, which um, if you use our little machine to do quick composting where you're um, mixing the, the shredded elements from your kitchen with either soil or previous compost or some other, um, something that will bring something to the table, I guess that means already cured compost or soil, then you can create very, very fast compost. And in, this, in that case, all of the elements you need are in the compost because it hasn't been rained on and leached out all the, the um, phosphate and other water-soluble nutrients that are typically leached out of a long-standing compost pile. And in that case, you should add alfalfa, maybe bone meal, um, sources of phosphate and magnesium. Yeah. Um, and so I guess um, it, it would also lower um, the footprint, um, in a garden as well, because you don't use as much water. If, you, if you've got um, compost on a garden, um, you tend to till it in or, or work it in. Um, I find that makes it a little more friable because it gives bulk to the garden and it doesn't use as much water. Um, is, would that be the same if it's very fine? Um, actually, compost has a great water storage capacity. Um, if your plants have been mulched or had um, compost placed around them, Two things happen. One, the worms come up and take the compost down to the roots of the plants, and they leave little trenches wherever they travel. They leave little, um, I guess you call them direct waterways to your plant's roots, and that is super good because all the water is going right to where it need, it's needed instead of storing on the top of the um, soil. And two, compost itself has great water holding capacity, so it will hold more water and deliver it to the roots. So if you're using compost, you can typically use about one-third less water, which is really important, especially in the West where we're lacking water right now. And so can, can you uh, put almost anything into um, a compost, uh, we, we talked about kind, kind of the, not, not the, the meats and things, but I have a ten tendency to throw um, dead twigs on there as well as um, plants, uh, carcasses from last winter that didn't make it, like the rosemary. Um, can, <laughs> can, can all that go, go into the compost, or, or should we still be um, looking at that three-to-one ratio, the dead plants being the, the one like the leaves? Actually, if your plants are dead and they're left over from last fall, if you, they are actually, they qualify as a brown since they've been dead a while. Even though they're, they were living at one time, if they've been dead a while, they are brown, um, kind of based on the color. So you can use those in a, a ratio of three to one over your lively food scraps. And, and so um, I, I guess you, if, you, if you put them onto the compost, it just takes them a little bit longer to decompose. Um, 
actually, if you have a good balance and everything is shredded ahead of time, they will go quick. And for things that are a little tough, like old, say an old tomato plant that got as big as your house, you might need to trump stomp around on it a few times and run over it with the um, lawnmower before you really want to put it in the pile. And so what happens if you get that ratio a little out of whack? Um, do, does it just not not work as well? Um, if you've got maybe too, too much carbon in there or too much green and not enough N, nitrogen? Yes. Um, you typically don't notice it so much when you have too much carbon um, that actually is the challenge. Most people cannot get enough carbon in their compost piles. With too much green or nitrogen, you typically have any problems like slimy pile or if it has an odor to it or um, it just is doing nothing, chances are you need to add more brown. Um, you, typically, I would err on the side of having too much old stuff and not too much new stuff. And and so um, with, with your um, your little green recycler, is, does it chop it up automatically? We don't have to take it out to the back garden and attack it with a mache or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, the reason why I invented this machine is because I had been co- um, composting in Colorado for my whole life. And sometimes the watermelon peel that I would put out one year was still sitting there wholly intact the next year. So I, it's about that time I started to do my book research on how to compost and realized that shredding ingredients, not just chopping them or putting them in the blender, but actually shredding so there's lots of little nicks and tears in the material would make it an ideal composting um, ingredient. So I spent many, many years um, inventing something that would put lots of little nicks and tucks cuts in the material. So something that's gone through our little shredder, which is hand-operated, mind you, um, can compost in about a week versus the year that it used to take in my Colorado backyard. And, and so how small uh, a piece do, do, we, do we need? I mean, I use a lot of um, grapefruit, and I tend not to put those now, uh, the fresh grape, grapefruit skins in the compost. I kind of throw them into the woods at the back because of that, that very problem. When you bury them or something, they're still there the next, the next year. Um, mm-hmm. So, so how, how small are we, are we getting these? Is it like kind of a, the paper shredder in the house for um, the documents, or, or is it something like um, may, maybe not quite as thin as that? It's not quite as small as that. The ideal size piece is about one-half inch by one-half inch. It could be up to an inch and a half, so something around a half inch um, all around. Um, and that's about the size, well, almost exactly the size that our machine produces. We, we follow those instructions specifically for that purpose. Um, and if you're doing something like grapefruits or oranges or any other sort of lemons, any sort of citrus, if you run it through the sh- shredder, you just want to make sure you dig that or mix it in with the other less citrusy, acidic um, things that you eat. And they can be used quite wonderfully well in the garden. And most people say that worms don't like citrus, but if they're shredded, they love citrus. 
Oh, so that's a good way of getting rid of my grape grapefruit holes. <laughs> But, you know, we need to take another quick commercial break here, Gail. But I want to remind everyone, you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggies. And when we come back, we'll talk with more from compost diva Gail Luce. um, And we'll talk about the best ways to use compost. We'll be back in just a moment. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're back listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking about composting with the compost diva, Gail Luce, over there in uh, Colorado. And, Gail, we talked about making the compost and making sure everything was shredded so that it gets nice and, and friable and we can incorporate it into soils and things. So let's talk a little more about actually using the compost. Um how much should we put down on top of the gar- garden, a standard garden, four-by-four four bed that's got kind of decent soil from last year? We've cleared out all the weeds. How much compost should we put down? Well, ideally you should put a two- to three-inch layer of compost on any bed. So a four-by-four four garden, that's going to take you a pretty sizable, you know, about 50 gallons of compost um, to cover that bed adequately. Okay, so so we just go and tip out the um, the recycler on on a regular basis or or into the um, the, the the gallon bucket. Um, so what about seedlings and things like that? Um, should they be grown actually directly in the compost? Can they be grown directly in compost? Maybe if you put it into a little seed tray. Um, not really. They, you should probably use a ratio of three to one or two to one of compost to typical garden soil for any sort of seedlings, they're just a little bit too sensitive to really um, absorb all the nutrients and and things in compost. They're much better with a more benign, less lively soil. So you can mix it up 
two or three to one of regular garden soil, and it can be the package type, you know, just regular old soil you buy that's very inexpensive, and compost. And and so and I know with um, growing plants, um, when they get to a certain size and you put them out into the garden, um, if you use some something like a, um, I guess, guess a, a general compost um, that you put I- into the garden, I, can, I know some of them can burn, um, partic- particularly mulches and things like that. Um, can it be too hot to put down, and how do you deal with that? Um, typically. Typically, homemade compost is not too hot if you've taken it out of the pile and let it cure in the sun for, oh, a couple days before you use it. Um, But if it's too hot, all you have to do is mix it with something brown, which would be typical soil, straw, dried leaves, anything, and that will will help it out. Um, Too hot is really just a a factor of too much nitrogen, Um, and that... Typically, when your pile or your compost is too high in nitrogen, it's because you've added too many manures or fresh grass clippings. And so, so it's, it's a high nitrogen that, that, that causes the burning, is that right? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you see it, see it causing a problem, you brush it away from the plant and make sure you add more uh, leaves, maybe, to the compost in general? Yes, exactly. Okay, um, and I, I know that a lot of people make a compost tea, um, particularly for putting on seedlings and things like that, and for fo- foliar feeding. How, how do we make that um, if we're using this green recycler? Well, you would go through the finished compost process. So you'd use the green recycler. It's actually the green cycler um, to shred your material. You're putting it in the compost. And compost tea is best made with a fully cured compost. So you, it has to be all the way finished. So none of the ingredients look like their former selves. So everything is nice and brown and and dark. And then you mix that with water and a sugar source. You can use molasses. Um, You can even even use table sugar. Um, And let it burble. We add um, air to our compost tea to make sure it's really got plenty of oxygen in there. Um, If you don't have plenty of oxygen, it can actually... It can burn the seedlings, um, so you need to keep it very lively with, with water, compost, and oxygen, and a sugar source. It's a little beyond describing in, in a few words. It's best to kind of look up a recipe for compost tea to make sure you're doing it right. And how long does it take once you've actually um, made, made the mi- mixture? Do you have to let it um, stew uh, for a couple of days before you use it for those nutrients to get into the water? Yes, you actually do have to let it stew for for a few days to make sure that it's nice and, um, you know, all combined and, and actually a good source of nutrients for your plants. And do, does it smell at all when you're making a compost tea? Uh, because I, I know once or twice um, I've heard of pe- people, you know, they've kept it in the basement, um, particularly when you use comfrey or something like that, um, <laughs> and, and it, it can give off quite an odor in fact the husband said she opened it at one side of the basement and i ran up the stairs the other side because it was so bad um so what had she done wrong versus uh, when making this compost tea my guess is not enough oxygen um if you have plenty of oxygen in there to keep all the good beneficial bacteria alive it shouldn't smell it should smell just like fresh dirt so you should go down and maybe uh, turn it uh, just stir it around um every couple of days 
Um, you should definitely do that. And in our home, we use a bubbler from a fish tank, and we just run the oxygen into our compost tea maker full time so that there's plenty of bubbles in there all the time. So, so you've got the pump on the on the side, um, and you 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 plug that in, and then you just put the little hose down down into the um, the compost tea mix. Yes, exactly. Oh, um, that that should work pretty efficiently, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it works great. Yeah. Um, so, so then, when when this is made, it, what type of uses do you, what do you use it for? You can use it for any seedlings. You can use you can really use it for anything. You can use it as a foliar spray. Put it in a bottle, water bottle, or any sort of bottle with a spray cap. Makes it with a little extra water, and you can spray it on all the leaves. It's very good at preventing, for example, tomato blossom end rot. You can spray it right on all the undersides of your tomatoes. Um, you can use it everywhere. <laughs> you could probably even use it as a skin cream if you're so inclined. So, so if you're using it on seedlings, um, are they getting the nutrient um, le- level that, that than you would for a normal compost if you put that on them? Yes, actually, compost tea has been studied and studied, and it works just as well as compost. In fact, sometimes better because it's going right, especially if you're using it as a foliar spray. It's feeding the plant um, all the different ways that a plant absorbs nutrients. And, and so for a seedling, they, they'd get plenty of nutrients as the big plants would from the compost? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And is there, is there a way, apart from if, you, if you've got to keep it obviously aerated, um, are there any other ways maybe that people can uh, may, maybe make a mess of this, um, the, the, the smell being, being the prime one, I would imagine? Um, I guess I would always uh, sample it before I use it to... <laughs> prolifically on my plants and if it smells sour or not right I just I wouldn't use it I would make sure it gets plenty of oxygen and if it does if you're experiencing any sort of smell other than the smell of freshly turned to earth it's probably not a very healthy compost tea so what would you do with it then um you could put it right back to the compost process again um pour it on the compost and start over with a new batch it's probably more difficult to heal a batch of compost tea gone wrong than to start over with a new batch. And, and so you'd just put that back into the compost pile and it would just be like adding rainwater to the compost pile and you just turn it in? Yes, exactly. And, and if you were, maybe if you're in an apartment and you're using the green recycler, um, how often um, would you make compost tea um, for, for seedlings? Would you, how, how often would you be able to do it? Um, you could do it as soon as you had finished compost. Um, so however long that takes in the situation or the setup you have. Um, in my case, I have a, a pretty small patio, and I keep a compost tea pot, if you will, burbling all the time so that I always have plenty for my indoor plants, outdoor plants, seedlings, um, everything. And if, you, if you're using a compost tea, does it carry through maybe um, some of the micronutrients and, and some of the, the, um, the, the good stuff from the, the, the soils and things as well um, that, that help uh, immunity uh, to diseases? Absolutely, absolutely. So all, all the goodness that you would get from a regular soil and a regular compost is, taken, is, is absorbed through a compost tea? Exactly. And in fact, it's sort of um, a magnified uh, version of compost, if you will, because you've 
you've kept this oxygen and, and water and, and um, a feed source, some sort of sugar source to keep the compost feeding and feeding. And it, it is actually more biologically active than um, typical compost. So, so you, mean, you mentioned a, a sweetener in there. Is, is ordinary table sugar um, appropriate or would you use honey or what? Um, probably not honey, but an ordinary table sugar is fine. A lot of people use molasses, apple juice, um, really any sort of sweetener is fine. So honey what, so is not as good because it has a lot of natural antibiotics that tend to kill even the natural bacteria. Okay, so that's its function to may- maybe add a little extra um, to the compost tea. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and other so so something like like a sticky molasses or um, ap- apples themselves aren't going to deliver that. You mentioned apple juice, but an apple itself isn't going to deliver that. Well, an apple itself, um, if you chopped it very very fine or juiced it, it would be perfect. Um, the the point is getting the sugars all mixed through the compost teapot, um, and an apple just sitting there wouldn't work. If you crushed it and um, or juiced it, it would be fine. So may, maybe get get a very ripe apple and <laughs> so that, that's gone a bit soggy on the outside and put that in. That that would work as well. Yeah, that would work. Yeah, um, and, and so you have to put the the sugars in on every batch that you make. Well, I do. Um, I am not a composting tea expert, I must admit that, but I do keep the sugars going. And I, you can just tell when your compost tea is working. Um, there will be bubbles at the top of the compost teapot, and that is all the oxygen, and, and um, it's creating the good, rich compost tea environment um, if it's nice and bubbly on the top, kind of like when, you, when you're doing a yeast um, curing a yeast and it's nice and bubbly, you know that it's alive and really working at that point. Oh, so so it, it's um, so so when, when it's bubbly on top, um, almost like when you're making maybe a beer or something like that, um, or a bread, um, it kind of gets that skin on it as well. Yeah, that's exactly the same the same principle of using making beer or um, bread. Um, compost tea is very similar in how it's made. Oh, okay. Um, Well, we need to go for our final commercial break here, Gail. Um, But come back, everyone, to listen about more about the Green Recycler and the lady who designed it, Gail Luce, and how you can get get one of these for yourself. We will be right back. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes, that's 
Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. I hope you're enjoying America's homegrown veggie show this morning. We have been talking about the Green Recycler with the lady that in, introduced it, I guess, uh, and developed it, uh, Gail Luce. Um, so, Gail, uh, how big is this um, Green Recycler? It's about the size of a coffee maker. So it sits neatly on your counter, about 12 inches tall by 12 inches wide. Um, yeah, it's, it's just ideally sized to to fit right on your kitchen or pantry, anywhere that you have an extra little bit of space to, to start your garden in your kitchen. I'm thinking it's pro- probably a little better than my little orange bowl that I keep at the back of, <laughs> under the sink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, my, my orange bowl is about 12, 12 inches wide by about 8 inches deep, I think. Um, and it gets sat out outside when I've finished filling it. Um, so what actually on this green recycler, is it an all-in-one with a, a shoot at the top and a blade in the middle, or does it come apart so you can take um, the stuff out of the bottom? Well, Yes to both questions. There is a chute in the top. Um, there's a window that opens, and so you can see what you're shredding when you're cranking the handle. Um, and then it drops down into a container at the bottom that's, that's really quite handy for storing um, shredded material and, and taking it out to the compost pile or garden. But the whole thing comes apart. You just unsnap a couple of easy pieces. That makes it sound more difficult than it is. You really just unsnap it, take out the blade system, and you can throw every bit and piece into the dishwasher. 
Um, there's about three major elements that, that need to be cleaned up typically, and they come apart very easily. Go in the dishwasher. Once you're done with that, put them back together, and you're back in business. And and so the, there's a, a base to this and the top. Um, is there a danger maybe with um, little children around that they could get their fingers in there? Well, they would have to work very hard. The way that the um, blade system is designed is they are not sharp. They are like your molars. They're they're designed to shred and tear through um, food and food scraps. So they're not sharp. Uh, even if a, a child did get their hand in there, they would have to work very, very hard to, to have any sort of injury. In fact, the machine is used in schools all over the country um, and other countries, too, um, by children who used to snip up their food scraps with little scissors, and now this is a much better um, solution for them to um, chop up their food scraps and, and put them in their school compost piles. And, and is it sort of just hand-cranked, or, or is it electric? It is not electric. Um, it took us a long time to figure out how to shred through everything from an apple core to a Hubbard squash top to a cucumber. Um, so the blades are cleverly designed, if I do say so myself, to um, rotate backwards and forwards. So if you put something in the top and, and your hand's cranking it, if you encounter any resistance, you just crank the other way, and um, it will neatly shred through virtually anything besides oh, peach pits or any sort of hard, hard pit. It's, it's just not designed to go through there, but um, virtually anything else you can eat, it will go right through the machine with no problem. And so, so the stuff basically that you could put down a garbage disposal, you can put into the green recycler? Exactly. That's the rule of thumb. If you can put it in the garbage disposal, you can put it in the green recycler. Yeah, so, so you wouldn't put down a, a, a peach pip or something like that. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so do you have a, a web page where people can see the, the green recycler? Yes. You can go to thegreencycler.com or you can actually call us, 855-432-6866, and we'll get a brochure out to you. So if you have the Internet, which you probably do if you're listening to the show, Go to thegreencycler.com or just give us a call. And so um, people can actually, uh, I guess if they, if they, do you go out and do talks about composting where you take um, the green recycler with you? Absolutely. We take them all around the United States and we'll be at the National Hardware Show in Las Vegas next week. But we have loads of people out there, master composters, who are now taking the green recycler around um, because it's just proven to be so handy with people who have not had success with composting in the past. Now they can compost virtually everything that goes from their kitchen right into their garden. And I'm, I'm thinking that I could u- use one uh, in the in the kitchen, and then when, once it's done, I could just take it out maybe once a week and tip it directly into the garden, right? <laughs> That's exactly. We call it the chop, drop, and grow method. You drop it up in your kitchen, drop it in your soil, and you're ready to grow in about a week. Oh, wow. Um, and so so when people want – are you doing any um, – Shows where people maybe uh, are able to see it that are open to the public? Um, yes. Uh, 
our website has a list of the shows and the, the talks that we're doing. So if you go to our website, you can see where, where you can see us in person. And we do, we give out loads of information on composting and, and I'll have printed materials on composting tea, which I'm not able to actually tell in full detail on the radio. But um, yeah, you can look at our website and it will show you where we're going to be in the next few months. Okay, and where, whereabouts do they fi- find that on the, the site? That's the Green, Cyc- Recy- the green Cycler, right? Yes, thegreencycler.com, and there will be an upcoming events section on that um, website. Oh, okay. Um, that, that should be fa- fairly easy for people to find. Um, and so are you on social media and things like that? Yes, we are. You can actually see what we're also up to on Facebook, um, and we tweet about it often um, if you're on Twitter. But Facebook is another great way to see what we're up to. And you can see stories of other successful users on Facebook. People are posting their success stories and pictures all the time. Um, I think people are really enthusiastic because they may have been trying to compost for years and years without much success, and all of a sudden, boom, they're able to do it very successfully and easily and and especially seeing kids happily using their um, green cycler. It's really fun for us. And, and I say, I, I think it's a boon for people that are in um, particularly apartments and limited spaces like that because they, they really had no other way of, short of burying the, the, the veggie pe- peelings halfway down the container, um, they had no way of making compost. And that's exactly true. A lot of people, really, if you used a green cycler, everyone could compost, even if you have very, very limited space. Yeah, and it, and it obviously does give people um, access to it. Um, and so what else do you have maybe on the blog? Blog? Do you talk about composting in general, or do you talk about the people you meet um, at shows and things? We actually talk about all those things, and we do a whole bunch of talking about worms, because worms are the hard-working garden workers <laughs> of your, your um, well, of your garden. We talk about all sorts of composting, different um, methods people try, different, um, a lot of questions and answers. Like a lot of people are, are confused about what they can actually put in the pile, what is a brown, what is a green. Um, we, we do lots and lots of um, information that help you make a really good compost pile or grow your plants more healthily and naturally and organically. And we also have a lot of talks um, or blog material articles about what are the dangers of not composting? You know, how does it harm our water? How does it harm our environment if we as a people are not composting and putting those resources where they belong, right back into the soil? And so do you do talks to garden clubs and, and community groups as, as well as go, go to the trade shows? Absolutely. Um, we've, we love to talk to garden groups because they're a very receptive audience to, to the information that we have to share. Some people, you know, who have never composted before don't necessarily get get it right away. But people, anyone who is gardening knows that compost is the heart of their garden. So they're very happy to hear us talking about how they can use all their junk mail, food scraps, dog hair, dust bunnies, really anything that, that ever was alive in your home, you can put right into your garden. It's really good success. And if somebody wanted to invite you to their event, maybe they, they were um, master gardeners or something like that that wanted to invite you through your website, um, is there a way that they can contact you or is it better to do that through Facebook? Either way. They can get on Facebook and ask. Um, and if we're in the area or it's nearby, we are very happy to come, come do a talk. 
Oh, no, and, and that, that would be under Green Cycler 2, or um, is the Facebook page and Twitter handle something under your name? Um, they're all under the Green Cycler, yes. Okay, so, so it's fairly easy for people to find you then? Very easy. And, and so when, what you, you mentioned the Las Vegas um, hardware show. That sounds great fun. <laughs> <laughs> A tough life being in marketing, right? <laughs> What 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 other show, shows or upcoming things have you got in the next couple of uh, may, may, maybe in May and June? And anything notable across the country? Um, we are going to be at the Whole Earth Festival in San Francisco, which is coming up in two weeks. So if you're in the the West, you could find us there. Um, and we do we've been doing some things up in Maryland um, because uh, with the watershed group up there. Um, if you go to our site, you'll see we're, we're sort of all over the place um, from coast to coast giving the talks about how to compost. And, and do, you, do you take enough green recyclers with you that people can actually buy them at those locations? Oh, absolutely. We're happy to. We're happy to <laughs> bring you a green cycler of your own. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the time, are people able to um, order these direct from your website or do they have to go to a, a, an independent nursery or something? Um, either or. We have them on our website. And that's, if you don't have a nursery with a green cycler um, for sale there, just go to our website. And I might note that we have a very good discount for people who are listening to this radio show. Oh, and what, what, what is the, the discount that they're getting? They are getting a 20% discount plus free shipping um, if they use the code HOMEGROWN, just the words HOMEGROWN, and they will get a 20% discount um, right on our website. Oh, well, that is great. So it, it's just home HOMEGROWN, and that gets 20, 20% off and free shipping. Wow! Absolutely! Wow! Well, thank you very much. I'll make sure that that goes on um, the the radio show's uh, Facebook page because I think people would be excited about that. We'll actually run it all summer because we realize that that people may not be ready to buy one right this minute, but um, we'll run that discount all summer for listeners to this show. Oh well, that that's great. That's very generous of of you. Um, and so, so I guess, I guess when people um, are actually introduced to this. Um, do you find that people get excited? Is it it's easy to set up and things like that? It's absolutely easy to set up, and um, we have been having a lot of fun with people sending us pictures and writing reviews and, and just all the positive feedback we're getting. In fact, last year at the National Hardware Show, we won the best new product of all the hardware shows. So oh, wow. thousands and thousands and thousands of products, and we were the... Very best new one. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Well, look, we're right at the end of the show here. Um, But I want to thank everyone for listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show this morning. Thank you, Gail. It sounds like a great product. And thank you for the uh, 20% off. Um, And uh, and thank you to Bonnie's uh, for sponsoring the show. Um, Everyone will be back next week with another show talking all about growing veggies. Have a good gardening week, everyone. And join me back here next Saturday.